0: Hello, my friends. This is Bishop Campbell. Welcome you again to a short meditation on the theme of living the Catholic life. Many of you know that one of my favorite uh, duties as bishop was to visit our many schools throughout the diocese. And when I would come to the school, especially in the elementary and middle school uh, places, I would say Mass for the students, and then at the end of Mass, I would ask the students if they have any questions of the bishop. And I used to explain to them that when I was their age, I saw my bishop only once. And that was at confirmation. And at that time, he slapped me. Well, of course, at that moment, that was part of the confirmation uh, rite to encourage us in the courage of, of Christian anointing. But every once in a while, I would get a question from one of the students that stayed with me for a very long time. And in fact, there is one that I want to mention that I'll remember to my dying day. It came at the end of the question and answer period. And of course, I always expected the usual ones. What is that hat called that you wear? Is that stick you carry heavy? But then the last person I called on. It was the first grade boy. And he said, Bishop, how did you learn about God? And how do we learn about God? And of course, that's the kind of question you wait for always. And it came from a six-year-old. And when I, I thought of an answer, I said, you know." i first began to know about god by being in a place and among people for whom god was real i think of my mother and grandmother at prayer in fact one of the first things my mother did for us as we were growing up was to teach us all of the prayers and to join us with prayers the the rosary the stations of the cross and the way that we celebrated the various seasons of the year. We had an atmosphere of the home, which I can say almost was soaked with God. And whenever we we had a question, my mother and and my father on occasion would often sit with us and just talk about it. My mother had what I call the Catechism of Prayer. At various stages in our life, we were expected to know certain prayers by heart. One of the first things we learned to do was make the sign of the cross that was followed by the Glory Be, and then by the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and then the act of contrition, the creeds. And we knew that we were progressing along the the Christian path by this method. And as I said, it was being among people in an atmosphere in which God was real and intimately close to us. Now, I say this because we come upon a scene in the Gospel of John, in his first chapter, later in that chapter, in which John the Baptist, seeing Jesus off in the distance, says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And two of the disciples of John the Baptist then left the Baptist and went to encounter Jesus. One of them was St. Andrew, really one of the first apostles to be called. And when uh, St. Andrew approached Jesus, the first thing he said was, Where are you staying? And Jesus responded simply, Come and see. So Andrew and the other former disciple of the Baptist came and stayed with Jesus all day. The next day Andrew then invited his brother Peter and said to him, Peter, come and see. Another disciple, Philip, said to Nathaniel, Come and see. And when Philip and Nathanael came to Jesus. Jesus' simple response to seeing them is, Follow me. But it said, Coming and seeing. So many people are drawn, I think, to our, our faith and to conversion of heart by an example of another. By being in a place where something occurs or uh, an atmosphere, is experienced, whereby suddenly their minds and hearts are turned towards something quite beyond themselves, and something that touches their minds and their hearts in a different way than anything else they may have experienced within this world. And there are various ways by which we come to those initial moments uh, of conversion, of hearing that that call of Jesus to come and see. I think I, first of all, think of St. John Newman, whose journey was uh, very, very interesting in that it was a conversion based upon the discovery of the truth. Now, a truth to which he was introduced, uh, sometimes offhandedly, by, by others. It was a search for the truth that was initiated when Newman was uh, a teenager, and he met an evangelical Anglican who convinced them of the power of dogma in the church and of the presence of God and how he can be experienced. And, he never, uh, and Newman never lost the sense of that uh, experience. But he had to be convinced intellectually, So he spent years in study, and he realized that at a certain moment, he had to follow the truth, and in 1845, he joined uh, the Catholic Church. He realized that there was a cost to this. He was well-placed within the Church of England. He was well-respected, even though controversial. And when he became a Catholic, he lost many friends, uh, some of whom with, uh, with whom he reconciled only late in his life. He went into a culture and a society that was quite foreign to him in their habits and in their expressions, but he had to do it. He had to answer that call, come and see. St. Augustine, who was also a great intellectual, and in a way, in his studies and in his uh, intellectual experiences, knew that the uh, Catholic Church was, in fact, the church that he had to join, did not really make a decision for full conversion until he attended a Vespers service at the cathedral in Milan, at which St. Ambrose was preaching. He was very much moved by the message of St. Ambrose. But this is how St. Augustine later remembered it in his confessions. He said, and I quote, How I wept when I heard your hymns and canicles, being moved by the sweet singing of your church. Those voices flowed into my ears, truth filtered into my heart, and from my heart surged waves of devotion. Tears ran down, and I was happy in my tears. And it was that experience of being in the midst of a worshiping community that finally sealed the decision for St. Augustine. I think of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, whose conversion to Catholicism, was no less shocking to her family and to her contemporaries than was Newman's later. But she said that she was first drawn to the faith by her experience of being cared for by an Italian family who were very devout, and especially when her husband became ill, how that family prayed and cared for them and how they were devoted to the presence of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And it was there that St. Elizabeth Ann Seton was drawn to a faith and a church that had very little public exposure in early American history. In fact, encountered grave suspicion and open uh, opposition. But it was that seeing it in action. And I remember reading a book that was a series of interviews that a psychologist did for those Europeans who during the war and during the uh, Holocaust actually assisted the Jews. And the difference between them and those that either remained aloof from the crisis or actually assisted the Nazis. And he found that when he was interviewing the men and women who had helped uh, the Jews, even at the peril of their own lives, one of the answers that originally came from them was, we helped them because mother and dad would have done the same thing. And it was that, that power of exa- uh, example of being in an atmosphere, where Christian charity and Christian courage was present that allowed these men and women to make that extraordinary choice. And it leads me in conclusion to speak about the vital importance of a Catholic culture. A culture in which there uh, was a profound spiritual ethos, as the uh, ancient Greeks used to talk about it. That is a combination of moral habits, of expectations, of social relationships, a way of living, thinking, and speaking as as Catholics. <clears throat> I remember that when I was teaching uh, at a uh, university out in California, I would always be able to tell which students in my class were Catholic and which were not, because every once in a while I would use a Catholic expression. And the Catholic students would smile, where the Protestant uh, uh, students would kind of look at me curiously. If someone asked a question about how difficult something was, I would say, oh, offer it up. And uh, it it was a way of signaling certain habits. You may remember that suffering a fall, skinning your knee, and uh, having your mother say, "Oh, but this can be just another jewel in your crown." But you know, these are simple ways of expressing uh, Catholic culture: how we speak to each other, how we act, what we expect uh, of ourselves, not only within our homes but within our culture. There's within this Catholic culture a sense of reverence for gifts not earned, but received. So that one of the most important habits, I think not only of Catholics, but of all Christians, was a habit of gratitude, of thanking, of those simple expressions, of being given something that we did not earn or made but simply received. And there is a profound respect for the other as the Imago Dei, the image of God. It's how we we talk with each other, how we deal with them, how we address them. And I think that understanding this Catholic culture, and it's it's a challenge for us, because uh, it is important for us to remember how, In fact, people are drawn by what they see and experience. Now, one of the great challenges is that uh, many of us of my generation experienced a Catholic culture which was ethnically based, either Italian or Irish or German or Polish. Well, those ethnic uh, experiences are fading away. How do we experience Catholicism? in an authentic Catholic way, in an authentic American way. It's a challenge for us. But always keep in mind that when others accept an invitation to our homes, do they come and see as Jesus desires them to come and see.